Hey, it's Robert Gallon sitting at 15 Perry Street, Mentors for Military, with my sidekick. It's Kyle. How are you guys? Kyle Neal. Um, we're sitting here in, with two special guests. We've got Rebecca and Joel, um, who are joining us from a long distance. So thank you guys first for coming on this way to join us on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks yeah. for having us. Our pleasure. I can't get uh, wait to get into some of the topics because we're gonna well we're gonna go a little bit all over the place, but I think we've got a main focus here at the end that we'll get into. Joel, you're still active duty though, so. Um, before we uh, dump into that, what were, where is home for both of you originally? Go ahead, Rebecca, you can go first. Originally, I'm sorry to say, I'm from Southern California. Originally, <laughs> why are you sorry to say? <laughs> well, <laughs> I think uh, that goes without saying these days, but uh, yeah, I grew up outside of LA. Yeah, in the, the suburbs. Where about? The beach cities, Palos Verdes. Okay, okay. I uh, did a lot of work up there. I used to spend Monday through Friday pretty much every week for years on end out in that direction and stuff. So it's absolutely beautiful, but I understand what you're describing <laughs> about the other aspects of yeah. it that are not it's as pleasant. It's not what it used to be. No, it's much, much different. Joel, where's home? I am uh, originally from the northeast of Rhode Island. Um, I was born there, and then I grew up my younger years in uh, Dominican Republic. My family's from Dominican Republic. So okay. Cool. I was actually an anchor baby. Do you know what that is? No. So it's when uh, when parents come from a different country, have their kid in the United States, and then uh, they go back to their home country, so they have access back to the United States. So I'm the only um, American citizen in my family that was born in the U.S. So, so but Rhode Island is where you were born? Mm-hmm. You never, now of course you still have the Dominican Republican, uh, Republic accent and stuff, but yeah. you never picked up the Rhode Island part of it. I actually did for a while, but after uh, now 17 years in the Marine Corps and all the different accents you pick up and try yeah. to learn, you kind of lose it. So every time I go back to the Northeast, people kind of just give me a stink eye. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really claim it. I don't want to claim it either, but that's uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in uh, Florida, but from like the second grade on and everything, but having spent 20 years in the Army, I, I agree. You, you end up becoming a hodgepodge of, you know, voice Absolutely. and everything else because, you know, you get Northeast, you get West, you get Midwest and everything that comes in between. And then, of course, people from other countries, you know, or families and such that also start influencing it. Now, I've been back in probably the Southeast for a long time. But some people still ask me on occasion, where are you from? You know, because they can't pick it up. They're not, they're not quite sure where it's at. So I totally understand. But the, but your your um, family's background, obviously, you have the accent of yeah. that, which, you know, changes it. So um, high school, everything at that time frame, and that's where you joined the Corps from? Yeah, so I, uh, I went to high school in Rhode Island, and then I went to college for two years in Vermont, Burlington, Vermont, right after high school. Um, and I was dating someone at that time that wanted to be a Marine, uh, and she said she wouldn't join unless I joined with her. And I wanted to be a Marine, but not at that time. And so that kind of just triggered that, uh, no pun intended there, that <laughs> triggered that uh, action to me to, be, uh, to enlist in the Marine Corps. Uh, so I dropped out of college and enlisted in Marine Corps with her. Enlisted? Okay. Enlisted. Okay. Wow. wow, that was like pure dedication. So it was a, it, it, I would not recommend doing things for uh, a, a girl or a guy <laughs> like that, something as serious as that anyway. But uh, I made that mistake, and then I uh, just lived with it and kind of made the best of it. Yeah, obviously it didn't work out because Rebecca's sitting here. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, wasn't, I wasn't that girl. Yeah. She's not that girl. <laughs> so you end up going to what branch, MOS? Did you end up picking like a buddy type of thing because it was her? She, yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh. She got some points. She got some promotion points for getting me in, yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> is that the reason why she was it? What was the primary? I'm sorry. I got to dig into this. Yeah. What's the primary driver? I wonder here. Was it the promotional opportunities or my boyfriend gets a chance to join me in the, the Marine Corps? You know, I haven't asked her yet. Maybe I, maybe, I <laughs> maybe she got the option to go hometown recruiting after basic or something. Ah, like that. See, you're right. Yeah, did she? Yeah, she did actually. Yeah. Uh, see, that's yeah. how you get it. Yeah. So yeah, it was uh, it was a bad choice, but we went to boot camp together. We uh, graduated boot camp together, uh, and so I I in the Marine Corps you go to boot camp in the in the in the same. Uh, if you're female and male on the East Coast, you go to Paris Island. So yeah. you go to two different places of the base. And um, I would see her every now and then, especially during church. We go to church and um, I would see her there. Uh, we couldn't make eye contact, but we, we knew we were in the same place. And um, but yeah, so we got different MOSs, different places, and eventually just things didn't work out. What was the MOS that you ended up getting then? I ended up getting 5711, which was a CBRN or NBC, Nuclear Biological radiological defense so the gas mask guys oh, to yeah. train everybody else how to how to wear them and properly wear their gear that's what i did yeah what what do you think of it it's a uh, it's a very interesting mos because there's a lot of uh, a lot of science behind it but marines don't learn the science behind it you just learn how to use the equipment don the mask exactly right? just yeah. just do these things don't worry about if it, if it how it works really they teach you the the basics of um, the importance of having the equipment on correctly and how to teach others how to do that. But there's, I know there's a lot of science and, and uh, training behind that, and, and uh, we don't learn to that extent. We just learn enough to teach others. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so after boot and your advanced training and stuff, what was your first assignment? First assignment was uh, California. So I ended up in Camp Pendleton, uh, ended up doing a, uh, a little tour uh, or a, um, a deployment uh, from there in 2007. Ended up going to Iraq, from California to Iraq. Yeah, uh, what was that rotation like? It was rough. During that time, um, there was a, still a lot of activity in Iraq, and uh, Marines were, you know, we were experiencing heavy casualties still during that time. IEDs were big, so improvised explosive devices were big during that time. And um, when I deployed with, uh, I deployed with the MU. So it was a Marine Expeditionary Unit. We ended up going on a ship with the Navy. The Navy dropped us off and then we did our thing and then got picked back up, pick, picked back up later on. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was rough. I ended up getting, uh, getting uh, hit by an IED, an improvised explosive device during that time. And uh, that kind of changed my life a little bit. What was the circumstances behind that? Because Kyle had the same type of thing yeah. that happened. Uh, were you uh, in a vehicle at the time frame? Okay. Yeah. yeah. What kind of vehicle were you in? I was in an up armored seven ton. Okay. So it's a big truck yeah. with armor equipment around it. And uh, I was sitting in the back with the troops. And uh, we, we were in a convoy going from one place to another. It was a nine, if I remember correctly, a nine vehicle convoy. We were uh, transporting equipment, personnel. And um, we were in a second vehicle in the front. Um, and the fourth vehicle, so the, I think it was two vehicles behind us, got hit um, by an IED. And we figured out it was a um, remote controlled or a remote detonated IED, a command detonated IED. And uh, that vehicle had supplies and two Marines. Those Marines uh, were 
injured but not dead. Luckily, we picked them up and we headed back to the original location because we were closer to the original location than we were to our destination. And when we picked them up, we put them in our vehicle. Uh, and unfortunately for those two Marines, they got hit again. Well, so that vehicle oh. that I was on and they were on, we got hit again. And from there, um, it's a little fuzzy after yeah. that. So they sustained two concussions almost immediately, one right after the other. Correct. Holy uh, cow. Yeah. It was in... Uh, it was a unique experience, uh, for sure. There's a lot of things I can't remember, and um, there's a lot of things that I'm trying to piece back together, especially now. Um, this was 2007. Now, in 2022, I'm um, taking actions to look at some of the things that I should have taken care of back in the day when it comes to brain injury, TBI, and things like that. So I, um, Rebecca has really helped me with that and identifying those things to... You know, we have pride as Marines, and we like to think, I'm fine, I don't, nothing's wrong with me, but now I'm taking action. Yeah. No, I think it goes beyond just a Marine because it first starts with the male, yeah. you know, the yeah. ego, not yeah. wanting to show your weakness, yeah. and especially if you're in a combat arms type of uh, MOS or, you know, it was a combat setting or something of that nature. They're trying to, you know, totally play it off, and it happens all the time. And Kyle, you had a very similar uh, incident. Yeah, mine was um, kind of the truck uh the truck that was leading the convoy got hit um they had to pull that truck offline it it suffered an axle or something and zapped it so we had to to then take over the lead vehicle and we hit a pressure plate that was a lot larger than the original ied mm. um and it was just it was a coordinated it was a coordinated attack like it just it, it is what it is uh, but we were in a situation where we had one way in one way out and it just it just didn't work out that day um, early, early on, though, I kind of started recognizing that I wasn't the same person. And it, it's taken a while to take steps, but you just got to keep fighting every day. What yeah. year was that? That was 2010. 2010. Okay. So yeah. pretty close to, mm-hmm. and this was Iraq as well? Afghanistan? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah, so for me, it was um, shortly after you get, uh, what ended up happening, the SOP at that time was to... Um, take the individual and monitor for 48 hours. Dark room, dark room monitoring exactly. 48 hours. Monitoring for 48 hours. Uh, interesting thing that I do remember um, was that the Red Cross considered me as a uh, KIA uh, at that time, and they published the. KIA. Are you? Kidding? <laughs> yeah. So your your family got notified. My family got notified um, that I was KIA, and so my mom was going just. She was absolutely. Yeah, She's doing what any mother would do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I was sitting there in my 48-hour rest, enjoying the fact that I was not having to do any working parties at yeah. the time. And the CEO comes in and says, "Del Rosario, yes, sir. Call your mom." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "All right, what's what's going on, sir? Nothing like that." I would say, you know, he was he let me know. It's like this is what's going on, and your mom thinks you're dead, so you got to call her and let her know. And I just did what my what my CEO said, and my mom was bawling. I remember that conversation. So how happy was she, though, when she heard your voice? Uh, she was very happy, very, very happy. Um, I do remember um, her crying on the phone, but I don't remember much else yeah. of the conversation just because there's, there's a lot of missing parts of that whole time. Yeah. It's so um, interesting, you know, when you hear folks, and this is probably, like you're saying, you're relating to this whole thing of missing and the whole brain kind of just cutting out and there's yeah. skips and fragments Absolutely. and 
and everything else. When when it happened to you, though, Angela was notified right away, right? They brought me a sipper phone, mm-hmm. and this is, I don't remember this conversation, but Angela said I'd talked to her, like I'd called her. Like I had my blue card somewhere on me. I was like, here, there's my wife's number. <laughs> and they called her, and they made me talk to her. Mm. Just to, so no one notified her mm. at all that something has happened, that she heard my voice. I still don't remember the conversation to this day, but she says that I called her. There was probably enough incidences like what you're describing. Right, right. You're that, not the first person I've heard of that's been declared dead <laughs> by the Army and then yeah. had to call their mom. Yeah. That's or by the military. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, I mean, it was so common for individuals to get hit by IEDs. Yeah. And, and die during that time. It would be catastrophic. They, they were just, just probably getting so many notifications that they made a mm-hmm. mistake. It's human yeah. error. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. 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 Still while you're on active duty, but afterwards you'll have a different probably perspective. <laughs> <Yeah>. on <them>. <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that I, and you know, that, you know, going down that topic as far as like traumatic brain injury and stuff like that, we're starting to see more and more people recognizing that there was there were events that happened. You know, whether you're a mortar man and you're constantly near that that blast all the time, you know, you're in armor or, you know, whatever the case, artillery and stuff like that, stuff that we used to just suck up because it was part of our MOS and, you know, or it was just part of the life of being a combat soldier, you know, and such. Um, but people now, when they start hearing other veterans talk about getting treatment for things, then they realize, oh, that's what it is. Because for the longest time, I don't, you know, traumatic brain injuries were more within the NFL and things, and they really started paving the way for, Absolutely. you know, like the dark room and, and those types of things, you know, and the studies that they're going. But then, it's, then it kind of reversed because I think the studies that are going on within the military are helping professional sports as well. Um, Because there's long-term effects that we're talking about here. I mean, I think if you go back to to some of the original uh, professional, I think it was uh, baseball players, you know, know, Lou Gehrig's or those types of things, when they start breaking down the studies of what happens, you know, that brain, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali and stuff like that, you know, that constant banging or uh, pressure is sloshing your brain around. And uh, I think it's great that we're starting to get all this treatment. We were talking about it offline about things like uh, stellar ganglion block yeah. or um, RTMS treatment, you know, with magnetics and everything. And then the um, same thing is true with a different type of headgear where they put the magnet on and everything. Mm-hmm. I think the RTMS is where they spin you and put you upside down yeah. and do kinds of crazy things and such as well. And then uh, there are some people that we've talked about in other episodes that are like going down to South America and licking the toad yeah. Um, yeah. and doing that, you know, just to try to rewire the pathways. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the the amount of research and the amount of uh, trial and error that has happened since we've taken this seriously has helped tremendously. And I think that there are many different methods, and for everyone's going to be something's going to trigger something different. I think it's something's going to trigger, like this treatment may help this individual better than it helps this other individual. But we have so many different methods now that I I, I think it's um, it's helping many veterans, even though. Some of the methods are not really kosher with military and, you know, using any kind of uh, controlled substances to be able to treat these things. And that's that's the part that's sad, right? Because, you know, if you do get treatment on occasion, the psychiatrist or whatever is going to be issuing you medication in which you're going to, you know, opioids or whatever, you know, back in the day. And so they were giving you that whole... um, 
you know, seven bottles, ten bottles of toxic because you take one and then you can't poop. And you got to take a different yeah. thing to make you poop. And then, you yeah. know, it's like one thing after another. Right. And then um, these people are just cloudy all the time. It's polypharmacy. Yeah. Polypharmacy is the term where they just prescribe and then they fix it with the next one. And then that one needs to be fixed with this one and it just keeps going. Well, you, and you don't think about medicine in that same way, but that's exactly what a physician does anyway. They yeah. hear what your symptoms are and they treat the symptoms. Yeah. They follow a flow chart. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You know, it's funny you mentioned that my, my uh, daughter used to have, uh, years ago, found one of these old books that I had that's like two inches thick, you know, as a medical book, um, and, and you'd open it up and everything, and it would have the little triage chart, you know, yeah. are you feeling this way, you know, yes, no, go this way, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so she would, I didn't know it, but she was, uh, at a very young age, found that book and would read it at night. To this day, it's almost like she, anything she feels, she feels like um, she wants to triage it before she goes to the physician so that she can know exactly what the cause is to tell that person this is what it is yeah. you know dr jennifer you know <laughs> now it's google as well you can google right all your symptoms well, no you don't want to google yeah. that because yeah. then, you're, then, you're, then you have cancer and you're dying yeah. Yeah. it's funny we did a podcast yesterday with uh, somebody who worked for google and then uh you know she was talking about what her role was in supporting and trying to get information uh, to find out why people weren't using google or using their phone more frequently and then at the end of it she's not wanting to use her phone yeah. you know so um yeah that thing's a nightmare um after that, how difficult was it or how challenging was it? And you're talking about now you're starting to get the help and you wish you'd have got it earlier, but it's almost like relearning to walk in some ways. I mean, you're almost having to, there's portions at least of you're trying to relearn while at the same time frame hiding the fact that you carry these symptoms. Right. Um, one thing that I, that I did right out, right out of the gate was I didn't want to be labeled in with having or having a TBI or being the, the Marine that has um, an issue that we need to monitor. So that's probably the main reason why I wanted to keep it uh, to myself and be okay and you know just give it time. Maybe I was gonna be okay with time. Uh, I just didn't wanna have that asterisk there. It's like this is uh, Corporal De Rosario, Sergeant De Rosario, Lieutenant De Rosario. Hey, by the way, Keith, the purple heart he has is because he has a, you know, he he was in an, an ID strike and um, he has shrapnel or he has a concussion or he has a TBI and you, we, you know, if he's a little, just make sure that you, that you uh, you know that so when he talks or he doesn't, his expectations should be different. I don't want expectations to be different for me. I want the expectations to be exactly the same, and uh, I don't want I don't want that label. So that I can perform and force myself, excuse me, to perform at the level that is required. So, the now in 2022, looking at um, looking for help and looking for the treatments and 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 starting that, relearning how to be okay with not being okay. Mm. That is the toughest part because, for me, there is a huge connection between physical strength and and mental strength uh, and I'm very I keep stay physically fit uh, so that I can uh, you know perform at the level I need to and be able to overcome any challenges now that transfers over to my men mental strength a lot because there's a lot of things that I that are difficult that I just force myself to push through because I know I should be able to um, but um, there's some things that you know when I process with my brain 
uh, try to process something's a little slower than it was last year or a little slower than two years ago, then I have to kind of uh, understand why that's happening because I don't want it to keep happening more and more and more often. So getting that help early on, early on would have been very beneficial. So that way I could have mitigated for those things. But yeah, relearning how to put my pride aside and uh, getting the help that I need. I think that's good. That's the biggest thing. We hear that a lot. Yeah. Were you ever enrolled in a TBI clinic at all through the military or anything like that? No. 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 And that, again, that, that IEDs were so common at the time yeah. that um, they were, pro- you know, it's probably overlooked at some yeah. point. And I don't blame them. It, it, you know, it was, I, I didn't actively search for it either, yeah. even though I should have. Um, and also there's just... You know, you want to be able eligible for promotion, and there's always another program mm-hmm. or another something that you want to do, especially if you love what you do. Yeah. And you don't want to be, you don't want to have that in your medical record because people have unconscious biases. Yeah. And you don't want them to look at your record and say, you know, they're equally as qualified, but he's a liability because of. Yeah, this. he's been at the TBI clinic. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Joel's medical record is about uh, three pages. Yeah. He hasn't reported anything. <laughs> That's not a good thing, though. That's it's not a good thing. I don't so, recommend it. My first nine years in the Army, my medical record was like this. Mm-hmm. And then my last year, it changed to that. <laughs> you you yeah. got to get it claimed. You know, you there, was a, uh, there was a guy, you know, a long, long time ago, and I think I was in my 10th year, and um, I happened to be fortunate enough to be in an area where there was a VA rep that typically went down at the um, Army Career and Alumni Program, you know, TAPT, you know, um, the uh, transition program type of thing. And he said, he goes, you know, he goes, I give these briefings all the time, you know, about the importance of, you know, documenting. He goes, um, I kind of tell him there's a saying that's out there that good soldiers never go on sick call, but good veterans do. You know, so I'm, you know, if we can get that word out there in the very beginning that if you want to be a good veteran and you want to be able to claim those benefits, you better go on sick call. You got to get it documented. So um, there's still time. There's absolutely still time. And I'm documenting everything, but I'm trying to not take advantage of the of the program, uh, take advantage of like um, the VA either. Yeah. Because I know that happens a little bit as well. No, you're absolutely right. And I think, unfortunately, TBI is something that they can really recognize. Post-traumatic stress is one of those things. I think they're having a more you know, difficult time because it doesn't take long in any society. We all know it, that if you can find a way in a loophole, people are going to try to to make it even wider, right. you know, and I think they really started taking advantage of post-traumatic stress when you would sit down and um, the person that's doing your review and everything says, oh, you were in combat and you go, yeah. And you go, oh, you must have post-traumatic stress. And you go, no. And you go, well, but you were in combat, you know, that'll, that'll actually help your percentage and everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I do have post-traumatic stress. And, um, there are probably, um, a good segment of veterans that, that went through that. And, and that's unfortunate for those who absolutely need that assistance. And I think the challenge that we're going to have going forward is we did not budget as a country to have this many veterans in this state, you know, from this war. Yeah. You know, and you think about the number of, of deaths and injuries and everything else from Vietnam, you know, which was way more than what we experienced in Iraq and in Afghanistan over 20 years and the, the number of um, claims that have been just in this war, you know, in, in difference, you know, to the other ones and such. Some of that is because people need to come forward. Mm-hmm. So don't get me wrong. That's absolutely what needs to happen. 
Um, but then I think there's always going to be that percentage that's always going to try to uh, to find a way to to take advantage of the loopholes. And but you you have to make sure that in your own conscience when you are going, you know you're doing it for the right thing, and yeah. you are the absolutely right person that should be doing that. Though yeah. you need the assistance. Yeah, and I, I think that with, your, with the point you're making, if you make it too, too easy to get. And you encourage people to get those things. I mean, we, there's, a, there's a difference. It's, you know, we encourage the people who need the help to get the help. But then uh, we try not to put enough, red, you know, too much red tape so that you can help people, yeah. uh, the people who need it. But unfortunately, you're going to have some of the bad apples that are going to go in there and take advantage of the situation, even if they don't have any of those symptoms, any of those things. It happens not just in the VA. And it happens in society as well. You know, look at the welfare yeah. uh, system, which I grew up in. I grew up, my family grew up, uh, I was, we were pay, uh, paycheck to paycheck and we were in welfare. Welfare is so easy to apply for and it's so easy to find loopholes that people stay in the system for a long time uh, where they shouldn't. You mm-hmm. know? And so there's a lot of taxpayer money going towards those systems that are just make it, the, the, the systems are made in good, good intent, intent yeah. to help people. And then people find loopholes. And then there are people who advertise to get you more through those loopholes. Mm-hmm. And the, the system kind of just, you know, spirals out of control. Yeah. When I, when I see guys like, you know, one of our co-hosts who's, you know, is at a point where he really should be walking most of the time with a cane. His back is just totally ate up, you know, degenerated his spine or, or whatever the case may be. And then, you know, neck the same way, knees and legs, can't hear, you know, which is all of us. And then... Um, you know, you've got uh, post-traumatic stress and TBI. Everything start layering on that. Well, I get it. That's you know, that's like the furthest end out there and stuff. But you're right. There are people that are always going to try to find, or there are always always are going to be people that are going to try to find the loopholes within a system. And I don't know about you, but in my experience with working with government regulations and policies, they they I think somewhat allow that because they don't write it in quite a way that they can really fully explain it from a legal standpoint to where so um it is what it is and i think that we're going to be challenged as a country going forward with dealing with that um but i also i, I wouldn't be too hard on yourself because in 2007 the technology we're describing didn't exist yeah you could have been on what did you call it the drug um the, the the pharma polypharmacy polypharmacy yeah. yeah you you would have probably been in that uh, state no yeah, well, I can't sleep so here's Ambien yeah uh, I'm anxious well here's Xanax uh, yeah. Yeah. but go to work and operate a you know heavy machinery or you know yeah. Yeah, here, right. here's a, here's a gun so yeah. go to the range and you're authorized so, to do it because you, you're still in and you and have was, a profile yeah and you yeah. have a profile I first learned I got a profile for for mm. Xanax I could take this yeah yeah, yeah. and then and the, the the side effects for those things do exactly the opposite of what they're supposed to be helping you do. Yeah. After that, what ended up happening? Because I know you went to OCS. So what was the break in between 2007 and that time period? So uh, after 2007, um, I deployed again to Afghanistan in 2009. Um, And from 2009 to 2010, in that time period, I had applied to a uh, enlisted to officer program. And every branch of the service has it. Uh, the Marine Corps calls it MESEP, which is Marine Enlisted Commissioning Education Program. And uh, it's like the Army's green and gold. Yep. I think that's what they call yep. it. Yep. Um, and so I applied, I got accepted, and I then went to the University of Maryland to finish my degree, which is where I met Rebecca. And Oh, 
We'll have to get to that yeah, part. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, and uh, when I finish school, which is, by the way, this is it's like a hidden gem. Those programs, you get to go to school, and you, it still counts towards your retirement, which is phenomenal. Um, you can use your GI Bill or get any grants, and most schools have phenomenal programs for, for um, active duty military to attend. So, and basic requirement is 60 semester hours of college, right? Or is it less? For to get in? To get in, yeah. Depending on the program. For the Marine Corps at that time, it was, you had to have, I think it's 12 semester hours of the, I think it was English and math and some history. Um, and then you can go all the way up to, when you go to school, uh, you can go up to uh, you, uh, three and a half years. You have to go to schools in the summer as well. Uh, yeah. to go to uh, class, take classes in the summer. And you finish in about three and a half years. So uh, I went to University of Maryland that first summer. During that time, MESEP required you to go to OCS. Um, so I went to OCS as an enlisted sergeant, um, which the Marine Corps does a phenomenal job at OCS to you, you remove your rank altogether and you're just a candidate like every other college student in there. And you get yelled at by people who are sometimes lower rank than you are. And you just play those games and you got to put your pride aside um, and just graduate. Uh, you get destroyed just like any, just like boot camp, except you, uh, it's a little shorter. And during that summer, you, uh, you just learn how to be a recruit again. I, I mean, how was that honestly for you? Because you're saying that with great pride, but at the same time, you, you've got to go back in and you hear you just went through, you know, basically what, three months worth of hell before in mm -hmm. Paris Island, Correct. where there used to be, I think, a sign out front that said, you better give your soul to Jesus because your ass is ours. <laughs> and, and, and then all of a sudden, you're having to go through this again to be an officer. You didn't at one time, Joel, go, wait a damn minute. I'm more than qualified for this. I've deployed twice. I've gone through the boot. I've made the rank of sergeant. Oh, I thought it every single day. And <laughs> the thing is that I was sitting there with some of my other Marines going through the same program that were higher ranked than one. Like the, my best man at my wedding, who also was a MESEP Marine that went through the same program, same time as I did, he was a gunnery sergeant going through it. Oh. So an E7 going through it close to uh, being a master sergeant. Yeah. So he needed a waiver, like an age waiver, to just attend the program. And How many uh, years active duty did he have? At that time, I think he was, I want to say he was close to 15. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so he was, but he was, he was a recon Marine. Um, oh. Yeah. He was a he, great, great guy. And he, very stoic, very, during the entire time, he didn't, you know, people knew that he would show up you, and they see the, the decorations that you have. So they know where you've been and they look at your record. And as soon as they saw his record, they were just aiming to make him quit because they knew that um, they needed to target him a little, a little bit more, but he didn't take it. He was just there taking every single thing that they were throwing at him, and he was just, yes, sir, no, ma'am, yes, ma'am, no, sir, whatever it was, uh, even to a corporal, and he would just move. And so I had no excuse. I would look at him, and he, yeah. was, you know, he was older, so... Um, he needed more time to recover after the obstacle courses or getting destroyed, um, and he would do what he had to, and so I had no excuse. When you, when you say that they were kind of targeting him, you think it's more so because um, they were probably questioning, why are you doing this at 15 years with all of that you've done? Is this really what you want to do? So if this is really what you want to do, then we're going to go ahead and 
make it difficult you to you know for you to make this decision or make it easier on you or however they wanted to look at it you think that's kind of what they were doing or at that time we were all thinking they were just jealous that's that, yeah. <laughs> that was at that time now looking back and looking at the program the marine corps does a phenomenal job of allowing the enlisted marines to choose who their officers are going to be and so the enlisted leaders evaluate technically evaluate the future officers that are going to be Mustangs or uh, en enlisted to officer programs. And that is, in my, in, in my point of view, that's a very humble thing the Marine Corps does to allow the enlisted, you want to be my leader, then you have to be able to put up with these things. Yeah, we have a co-host, um, Don Fox, a good friend of mine. He actually worked for me as a corporal when I was in E7 and um, went on to be an E7. I think he was at like a 10-year mark, went to OCS, and he ended up retiring as a, a um, major. Major. Yeah. And, you know, and of course, as a, as a Mustang or as a former enlisted, um, he can tell you stories about where he was called in often to the uh, battalion or brigade commander's office to get advice because he was older and more experienced than what they were. And it was uh, funny stories in here. <clears throat> you know, he was... Um, because of his position and being a former enlisted, his uh, uh, his availability to go to like lieutenant colonel or colonel were pretty small, you know. And I mean, I think he ended up spending thirty years in or thirty plus years in total, you know, of service and stuff. But um, kind of fast forwarding through, what was the acceptance of your men, um, or do you see that same acceptance, which I would see from former enlisted that came as an officer? I had. I had tremendous respect for those individuals and felt like I'd rather follow them than I would somebody who just got out of West Point, you know, and, and came in and started leading me. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. The uh, the officers that were prior enlisted and get a lot of respect. Whatever program you decide to uh, to go through to become a an enlist, uh, a enlisted to officer pro uh, enlisted to officer Marine, um, you get a lot of respect. You show up. Marines are very. Um, very proud of their leaders, especially if the leaders have a lot of experience. So when you, when I showed up to my first unit, uh, after so after OCS, I finished college and then I became a communications officer. So I'm a 0602 communications officer. I do IT in the Marine Corps, um, and um, but I had combat experience and I had you know multiple firefights and then also a Purple Heart, which added some extra cred in there for the for the younger Marines. So I show up in my uniform, I check in. Um, as a second lieutenant, with a a lot of chest candy, right? yeah. you have a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, medals, a lot of uh, decorations, and as soon as I show up, you know, you walk in, everybody's looking at you. Everybody's looking at uh, even when you when I start talking to my CO, he's not looking at my eyes; he's looking at my at my chest to see where I've been, and that's what he decides. Right from there, hey, you're gonna have I'm gonna I have this trouble platoon that you're gonna get, and so he gave me the trouble platoon. And I show up and show up in uniform and I get everybody together, just introduce myself very humbly and still in uniform knowing that they're gonna be looking at where I've been, what I've done. And when, you, when you're a Marine, you wanna deploy and Marines join the Marine Corps to deploy and fight. So when they saw that I had credibility, automatically I get a, a lot more respect and I like to tell, and I was very physically fit, so I tell Marines now, or I tell my, uh, my future Marines, Hey, if, uh, when you show up, if you show up physically fit and confident, you're going to uh, automatically be competent until you prove them otherwise. Exactly. Mm -hmm. If you show up out of shape and shy or just not confident at all, 
then you're incompetent until you prove them otherwise. Yep. So it's a first impression. You know, you say that, but there used to be a time frame in the Army specifically where if you could do really high on the PT test, and when we went out to run 5, 10 miles, you were the guy out there really leading the effort, that made you a good leader. And that really wasn't the right, right. metric to use yeah. Yeah. and the right data point to use as a um, whether or not that person is a good leader. But, you know, you still have to prove yourself. You know, right. yeah, you got the eye candy and everything else. And uh, but how did that happen? You know, what what really went into that? And, and I think you're you know, what you're describing, too, is that as you, how you carried yourself, um, how you in, engage with the people um, humble, you know, you became, you know, humility and stuff and probably went a long way, I think, more so than just the, the chess candy. I mean, that kind of set the stage of, oh, yeah. all right, let me listen. So what was the relationship like with your enlisted counterpart? Like you had your PL, you had a platoon sergeant. Yeah. What was what was that like? It was, uh, it was I, I show up and usually um, I, I, what I, my intent was to sit back and, and just watch at first, yeah. just to see how things worked. It's a new command. I'd been there, I'd been in that, in around that unit before as an enlisted Marine. But now, as, a, as an officer, just kind of see where, where, how, what my role was at that time. Now, as a prior enlisted Marine, um, and I, I would tell my, my senior enlisted advisor, like, hey, just if I'm overstepping, let me know, because there's a, there's a job that I just, there's a point that I should not cross, right, as an officer. I shouldn't get to the, to the nitty-gritty of things unless my, uh, my senior enlisted's not doing his job. So when I first show up, I just sit back and watch. And as I was watching, um, I started to see not just how my senior enlisted was interacting with uh, the Marines, um, but I was also evaluating how Marines had changed, uh, junior Marines had changed from when I was a junior Marine. Mm. And so I was trying to see how do, how do I fit, how do I interact with them? I know that there's, you know, social media was getting bigger and bigger. Um, and then Marines were also communicating differently priorities were differently were different so I wanted to know how I fit in that and how do I modify my leadership style to make sure that I was communicating what I needed to communicate to my Marines because I really believed that they, they should not have to adjust their listening skills to my leadership style I should be able to kind of merge the two and find a way to get through to them um, and adjust my leadership style a little bit uh, or how I communicate to make sure that they understood what I wanted to do. So there was a lot of listening, a lot of watching for, for a while, and then slowly I integrated my, my own things. You, you want to go in and change everything immediately? That's a bad idea. So um, I just sat back and, and watched for a little while. That's actually great advice for anybody, not just that's going from enlisted to uh, officer, but just learning how to be a good leader, yep. you know, period. Uh, whether you're put into and you're inheriting, I mean, we all PCS, so at some point you're going to take over a squad, a platoon, a company, whatever the case may be, and, you know, you're going to have to go through the same type of scenario that you're describing. There had to have been a little bit of you, and, and maybe you were just really confident in your own abilities, um, that thought, all right, I'm an E5 wearing officer rank at this moment, walking in the door to a gunny who's been doing this a hell of a lot longer. So there had to be a little bit of that, right? Imposter syndrome? Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> there, there, was a, there was a little bit of that for sure. I, yeah. I had picked up E6 before I commissioned, so I was only E6 for a short amount of time. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I show up and immediately, um, you know, they're calling me sir, and 
my decisions or what happened or failed to happen was on me. So that's a little scary. You're sitting there and you're like, oh, I'm going to mess something up here. I just got to make sure I don't, it's not too visible, right? So you, you, you're going and everybody has it. But I can only imagine, I was thinking at the same time, I can only imagine a college student that just commissioned and just went to um, TBS or the basic school and then went to uh, their MOS school. They're showing up at you know early 20s and they're expected to do the same thing I'm, I'm doing. So I put everything, my, all my experiences into perspective. I look at, you know, there's, I'm, I'm going through hell right now, but there are people going through worse. Yeah. So I try to kind of... Uh, look at my life in, in that situation in that perspective. I've got kind of a crazy question, but it goes back to the TBI and then going through this experience. Um, did, do you ever look at it as maybe one of the things that, that helped you in some ways was that you were able to recreate yourself? Yes, I, that's a great question. And I, uh, I've learned to enjoy to go to a new place or go to somewhere and that no one really knows me. Mm-hmm. And set the expectations from scratch. Um, But also, there's a lot of things I can't remember from my past um, that I I know uh, have helped, like being able to forget those things have helped me kind of recreate myself in a way that doesn't harm my, um, you know, my relationship with, well, uh, let me, let me just back up a little bit there. My relationship with, with my family is not as strong now as it, as it used to be, mainly because there was a lot of toxicity in my family that I kind of got away from. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot that I do remember that there was uh, toxic things that happened in my family that I have, for, that I have been easier to kind of put behind me because of the fact that I had, there are gaps in my memory. And those things have really, that, those gaps have become, I think, a a very positive thing that has helped me kind of redevelop or recreate myself in a much more positive light. Yeah, a a blessing and a curse at the same yeah, time. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you said this is about the same time frame that you met Rebecca. So Rebecca, you where did how did you get from L.A. to Maryland? Now I know a lot of people in California actually look for opportunities outside to go to school, like Oregon usually, and you know um, Washington and stuff like that. But Maryland, that's yeah. Quite well, a jump, yeah. It, it was a big jump, and I don't. I was definitely the only person in my graduating class that went to the University of Maryland, and I might be the only one that could identify Maryland on a map. Um, <laughs> it was just not somewhere that people went. But for me, I I grew up. My dad went to UCLA. I grew up totally brainwashed that I needed to be a Bruin, and that was the only school on the planet, and I couldn't go anywhere else. And then when college applications came around, and I applied to four UC schools. Uh, Berkeley, San Diego, UCLA, and Davis, and I got into all of them except UCLA. So at that point, I realized there are actually other schools in the country that might be worth looking at. So I had applied to schools all over the country, and of the ones I got into, I decided uh, Maryland was the one for me. And I, when I did, when I realized I wasn't going to stay local to Southern California, I was like, well, I might as well go somewhere completely different. I have four years to explore another part of the country, see what it's like, and if I if I hate it, then I can always come back and. So I went to Maryland. Now, you were a cheerleader, gymnast, all that type of uh, things in high school. Um, were you looking to do those same things and transfer that over to a university, or were you looking for a specific degree or both? Or um, Neither, actually. So oh. I was very academically driven all through school. Um, 
I did gymnastics up until high school. I decided at, at the start of high school to stop competing. Uh, I had a in career-ending injury, and it was kind of the same time that the burnout set in. So that's why I transitioned to cheerleading, because I could still use some of the gymnastics that I ha had developed as a kid, um, but not do it. it. It was not as nearly as demanding. Gymnastics is a very demanding sport, time-wise, energy-wise, and everything. So uh, I transitioned to cheerleading, did that for two years just to get my PE credits, and then that was it. But in high school, I focused largely on academics, took all the AP classes. I had a semester's worth of credits going into college from that. Um, but when I went to college, I, I didn't know what I wanted to major in. I went in undeclared. I just knew I wanted to you know, get get the degrees, whatever that ended up being. I, I ended up made, doing a double degree in public health and Spanish. Um, I went in with the public health was my first major, and I was going to do a minor in Spanish, but then I had almost enough credits for a second major, and then I ended up with enough enough credits to do another whole other degree. So I ended up with two separate bachelor's degrees. Um, yeah. Very, very academically driven, as I mentioned. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, um, Maryland's, you know, the, the beauty is you're right there near uh, Baltimore, you got D.C., you know, um, somewhat L.A., you know, definitely L.A. is a lot more crowded, traffic, everything else, probably more so than even that area. I, I work up there now in that, that space and such. So, um, but good school, great, um, you know, basics and everything else. So how was it? Were you guys just in class together? Is that what it was? Or We met at the gym. Oh. And nobody's ever, ever <laughs> surprised to hear that. Uh, okay. Well, like an offsite gym or? On campus. On okay. campus. All right. Like CrossFit type of thing or? No, that was, um, it was just a campus recreation center. Okay. Uh, just the weight, we met in the weight room. There weren't a whole lot of women that were lifting weights at the time. It's, yeah. it's definitely grown in popularity since. Uh, which makes me happy, but yeah, I was one of a couple females that would would venture into the weight room, and I just kind of did my own thing. And um, we were introduced by a mutual friend, and we became friends first. We were friends for a solid year before we started dating. So uh, at first, I thought he was a creepy old guy at the gym because he's five and a half years <laughs> older than I am, and I was 19, and he was the uh, the old guy at 24. So yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So <laughs> in in uh, in that time frame and everything, uh, what did you feel about as far as like getting involved with somebody within the military and in a you know especially a marine? Um, well, it was interesting because at the time I was in Air Force ROTC. So oh, at the at University at the of University Maryland. Of Maryland. Okay. Yep. So I joined that program my sophomore freshman no first semester of sophomore year, and um, that was actually how he. He used his pickup line on me because I had an Air Force ROTC water bottle, and he approached me and he's like, "Oh, are you in the Air Force?" I said, "I'm an ROTC program." He's like, "Oh, I'm a Marine, so uh, if you ever need help in, with PT, I'm happy to help you out." <laughs> that was how he did that. So uh, it worked. I, yeah, clearly. nice. So um, I, I was gonna join the Air Force, um, become an officer, and, and all that jazz. And of course, by the second semester, he had convinced me I needed to switch to Naval ROTC so I could become a Marine officer. Because if I was gonna become a military officer, obviously, it had to be a Marine. So um, my military plans didn't end up working out. I have a uh, medical condition that is disqualifying for all branches of service. I found that out during my physical second semester. So they dropped me from the program, I think it was March of sophomore year, and that was the end of my military dream. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, you never got to the point of um, you know, deciding to do the contract and all that because they, they gave you the physical about that time frame and determined that, okay. Yeah, so I had already had the medical condition. I was diagnosed uh, my freshman year, but I didn't, I didn't really know that much about the military, to be honest with you. Yeah. Just, I, I liked the idea of the program, challenging myself and the physical fitness and uh, career as a military officer seemed as good as any. So. Um, that, that was like kind of my driving force behind it. I have no family in the military, so, um, but yeah, I, I didn't know that it was disqualifying until I went through my physical and told them these are all the things that are going on and they they reviewed it and 
they came back later with the uh, the bad news. Yeah. Um, well, that might have been challenging anyway because uh, we'd have been talking about something entirely different too about you know dual marriage and such. You know, I don't know that actually that I've had a um, guest on the show that were kind of a dual marriage, but that's a challenging aspect within the military, and it used to be even harder. Back in the day, I think they've made it somewhat easier, but trying to maintain both lifestyles, especially if you have a child and stuff like that, that becomes very, very demanding. Um, but you stayed within physical fitness, and we were talking offline. I mean, you're you're now in so many different things, or at least you were like in, was it bodybuilding? We Yeah, I think a lot of people start their fitness journey off in bodybuilding because it's it's pretty straightforward. You, you know, split the body into different muscle groups and train one each day and repeat every week. So yeah. that's, that's how I got my start. And Joel was into the same thing at the time. And bodybuilding.com was kind of the Bible. And we yeah. just got our workout programs from there. And that's when I really started to learn about building muscle and, and the body and what it's capable of. And I just really enjoyed the process of challenging myself and getting stronger, um, but more with the, the aesthetics in mind than anything. But that's, that's really the springboard for what I'm doing now. And over the last, gosh, has it been a decade now of just learning and going through different uh, arenas of fitness and then becoming a fitness professional and, and what I do now. But yeah, so bodybuilding was the start. And then after that, I became a personal trainer and learned more about functional fitness and treating the body or focusing on the body's ability to perform uh, versus look a certain way. So I became much more interested in being strong and having over, you know, a foundational level of fitness and just being able to move well and and perform at a high level and be focusing more on strength versus, you know, how lean can I get and what do I look like in a bikini when it, with a tan? So yeah. Yeah. I did that one time and that was it. No, yeah. Oh, so I was going to ask you, did you compete often or anything, either of you? Or? We did together. We did a bodybuilding competition. It was kind of like a, like a little challenge for ourselves as we were going through college. It was junior year and we did it together. He did bodybuilding. I did figure. So we did the whole, you know, diet and get shredded and get a tan and put on your little suit and high bland, heels. Bland chicken and broccoli. Tilapia. Every day, every, every day. meal, every day. It was, tilapia. Has yeah, tilapia. I, I haven't eaten tilapia since. No, except, <laughs> it, except when you start getting close to competition, then I think it's cheeseburgers and french fries and everything else, That's right? After. Yeah. That's oh, it's after. Right okay. after, yeah. You're, you're, well, you get, well, it depends who you, who you ask, but we would get one cheat meal a week and we would put away like two pizzas each. Yeah. <laughs> and then it would be back to the tilapia. It was, it's, oh, I have a lot of feelings on that yeah. type of life. Lifestyle, but uh, obviously, needless to say, that's not something we continued with. But we did the, we did it once. Glad I had the experience, especially now being with you know in the in the fitness industry and being able to speak to that experience and talk to other people who are either doing it or considering it. It's it's an eye-opening experience to go through and learn a lot about your body for sure. But uh, it wasn't something I wanted to continue with. As I mentioned after that, it was kind of a I, I got the knowledge. I went through the personal trainer certification and, and learned like there's so much more that the body's capable of than just looking shredded and getting tan. So. I've shifted gears completely, became a personal trainer and, and started focusing more on, you know, pushing the body's limits in a different type of way and more focused on performance. Yeah. Um, so my friend and uh, former neighbor is um, Bob Ciccarello and that may ring a bell or may not, but Bob is a former bodybuilder back in the day. I think he won the USA bodybuilding, you know, um, you know, main, uh, I don't know what they, heavyweight or whatever it is, the big dudes, you know, and stuff like the Arnolds and all that. And um, so now he's the voice of bodybuilding or has been for like the last 20 years. So I don't know if he was at your event and emceeing that, if it was a large enough one, he probably was, but it he, was a small, okay. small local show, but, but I used to train with him all the time. And of course, you know, you can look at me and I'm not in that kind of shape and, but it was great because that's exactly what he focused on. It wasn't about trying to, you know, 
it wasn't about trying to have this image of what you think it should be, but are you working out and doing it in a way where you're remaining healthy? Are you eating right? And, and those types of things. And it was a little bit different, but he and I would have conversations still, you know, about bodybuilding and, and um, how the body goes through so many weird yo-yos and everything through this whole process. And if you constantly stay in competition mode and go out and in and everything else, it's brutal. It is. It's not a not a sustainable lifestyle, and it's definitely not advised to be in you know stage ready shape year round, and especially not for women. Yeah, I could totally see that. So I was going to ask you um, both about then in somewhat of a transition. You know, we we talk about you know the um, the physical aspect of, and everything of working out, and then of course you were mentioning about your traumatic brain injury. Um, the diet, so many people don't really think about that uh, so much, about the importance of that. And, you know, even in trying to maintain regular fitness while in the service, but certainly when you get out and the aspects of how it may have on your mental state. So I'd love for you guys to talk about how, you know, when you're looking at you want to maintain physical fitness or um, you just want to exercise to some extent. Um, I, what is the right ways in which an individual can focus on that to meet their demands of their body and maintain mental readiness at the same time frame? Such a good question. And I think the answer is when it comes to nutrition, the answer is largely it depends. Um, everyone's looking for like, what is the, the perfect diet? And, and nutrition is something it's so polarizing and there's so many different schools of thought on which diet is the best. And over the years, so many fads have come and gone. There's been the low, low fat in the 90s, and now it's the low carb and the keto and the carnivore and the intermittent fasting. Yes. There's so many different ways that people eat, and everyone wants to claim that their way is the best way. And it's very dogmatic. And the reality is that nutrition is very individualized. And I'm not, and I've studied it, and I've tried different things on myself, but it's very much what works for the individual. And so I'm not going to sit here and tell you that because I do it this way and it works for me that it's the right thing for you. I think a lot of people have to go through their own trial and error and their own journey and figure out what makes them feel great, what makes them perform well. And, and it also depends on the person's goal. You know, if your goal is to get shredded and compete in bodybuilding, then your diet's going to look a lot different than someone who's trying to put on weight for, yeah. for sport or to be the fastest runner or whatever, you know, it's, it's all very relative. So I think there are some general principles that if we all followed them, majority, 99% of people would do better with, you know, nutrition, they'd feel better, they'd perform better. I think, you know, eating more whole foods and, and less processed food is yeah. gonna be a good choice for just about everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, fruits and vegetables, whole foods, lean meats, um, you know, nuts and seeds, those types of things. For most people, do, eating more of that and less of the, the junk food, you know, if they always say shop the perimeter of the grocery store, mm -hmm. that's where the produce is, the meat, and less of the stuff that comes in a box with a, an expiration date. So, hmm. MREs? Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're better now, they're right? Better. At least that's what they tell you. I don't know if they're better. Yeah. So January through April, though, everybody's looking, wanting to look like you guys. So, you know, they come off of Thanksgiving and Christmas, and that's when you see the biggest peak in gym, uh, you yep. know, time and everything. And so sometime between October and December, they're thinking they're going to have to get in the gym after the holidays. And they start looking at social media or whatever and seeing physiques in a way in which they want to do that. But you bring up a very good point. You've got to really do your homework and get in there and find out what's going to work for you and finding possibly even a nutritionist. You know, can you find these things online in certain places out or is this something obviously through your app that you might be able to find too? you know, what's best? There's tons of resources online, but I always, you know, caution people to 
be careful be with the, there's a lot of great information and there's a lot of really bad information and there's a lot of people claiming that they're experts that aren't um, and so being careful doing your homework to find the right person with the right credentials and not just an Instagram expert you know self-proclaimed expert um, work there's it's when we're, we're talking about nutrition we're talking about fitness it's our health we get one body we get one shot at this thing called life so it's worth making the investment obviously I'm biased being that this is what I do but at, People have made incredible transformations through in, with their health, with their physical health, mental health, their ability to just perform everyday tasks and just be a, you know, a happy, healthy person by investing in in professional help to to do it. Because if you don't know, like, if your toilet's broken, are you gonna and you have no idea how to fix it? Like, what are you gonna do? You're gonna hire a professional. Yeah. Same if your body's broken, if you're injured, you go to the doctor. But what we just don't take that same care with our nutrition and our fitness, and it, it baffles me as to why people just. It's like they'll spend a thousand dollars on a pair of shoes or a purse, but when it comes to, you know, here, my prices for for coaching or for nutrition, whatever, it's it's this. It's like, oh, I can't possibly spend that. Well, you're gonna go out and spend that on alcohol this weekend, so you know, it's just priorities, and yeah. most people just don't prioritize it. Do you find, or have you been able to help? You you mentioned Rebecca's help, but it could have been very different. But have you found ways in order to help, say, Joel in his TBI, you know, steps and such in terms of diet and and those types of things? What works? Well. To be honest, the, the TBI uh, discussion is pretty recent, and we're talking like the last month. We, we, this isn't something that's been at the forefront of our relationship or, or his life or anything much before that. It was actually, at least from my understanding, like conversations with Kelsey, who I know we, we know mutually, mm -hmm. um, and her experiences, um, listening to her story kind of made me think a lot about what he's been through, and you know, he always seemed fine to me, so it wasn't ever something we ever talked about, but after she went through and told me her story and I listened to her podcast that she's been on and I brought it up to him just kind of treaded lightly but just to see you know is this something that you've thought about I, I knew what had happened to him but it wasn't something that we talked about often um, and it wasn't something that we considered exploring until very recently so as far as that goes um, I can't say it was like a direct correlation but I do know we just talked about a couple days ago maybe yesterday um, just taking care of the body and how you 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 said it really well the other day. I'll let you, you yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, there's there's absolutely a connection between the physical uh, resilience and, and uh, mental resilience, right? Um, now, there wasn't anything that was a, like a wow factor. This is changing my life. Um, it was more of a gradual thing. It I was a to, grind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But when it comes to nutrition, it was when we first met, I was eating, you know, I was eating Chinese food every day and a, a, gal a gallon of orange juice, which I loved gallon of orange juice and I could do it right but I didn't realize that how I was feeling that my standard was so low how I felt that once I started removing those things and once I uh, got older and decided or as I aged a little bit and decided that uh, and I'm gonna remove these things or we decided together we're gonna remove added sugar as much as possible or just you know try to slowly move out away from processed things and um, and alcohol, not all together, but just slowly you know, lessen the, um, the amounts, uh, you start to realize, you know, my body feels really good. And then the days that you don't do those things and you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, everything's inflamed, my knees hurt, my elbow hurts, you start to realize that's that state, that state of pain that you're in at, at that time is how you were always feeling when you didn't take care of your body. That's, and that's how I felt. Mm. Uh, so... Most people don't know that, you know, that their body's feeling 
crappy or that they need to improve the way they feel because that's how they always feel. It's the baseline. Most people yeah. have a really low baseline well, for how they, they feel. They have to be able to detox, right? They yeah, have to get through all the inflammation. Yeah, they yeah. have to understand that dairy, you know, sugar, all these things are in, inflammatory foods that they're putting in their bodies. Processed foods are naturally inflammatory mm-hmm. just from whatever they're putting in their body. And so I had to go through that. Um, like my, my wife basically said, you know, you don't get anything from the inside. And you don't get any of the good stuff. We shop around here and we grow several things in our garden and stuff like that. It's just, it's a big shift from the way I grew up. Yeah, like, and yeah. It's, it's an uphill battle because all the, the media and the marketing and the advertising were pushed towards these processed foods because they're mm-hmm. you know, delicious and they're convenient and they're, it's everywhere. And it's so easy to just stop in at the gas station and grab packaged whatever, cookies, crackers, sugary things, and a soda. And it's so much harder to find convenient, quick, healthy foods. So people just default to what's accessible and cheap. It's a lot cheaper to buy crap than it is. Yeah, it's convenient. So it's unfortunate because most people are just going to take the path of least resistance. And it's instead of buying whole foods and cooking them at home and taking the time and, and educating themselves on what they're feeding themselves. And unfortunately, the children who are now, you know, the obesity rate, we were just talking about that this morning, the obesity rate in, in our country is wild it's so high it's 30 percent almost 40 percent i think yeah and i think one of the things that's uh becoming more and more prevalent that people aren't maybe aware of is that um fatty liver non-alcoholic fatty liver is a huge problem you know within well all over the globe not just in the u.s but and a lot of it's a you know directly attributed to the diet in in which we take food and how our body processes it you know yeah and you know, people don't think of it that way, you know. Um, so do you recommend um, finding somebody and then going through a process where they kind of strip you down then and get you down to, all right, we're going to get you to a baseline so that we can start building you up to find out what does work or what doesn't work for your body and your mental state? Yes and no. It, again, it depends. I When it comes to nutrition, if, if someone has like a medical condition that they need to address, that's not in my scope of practice. I'm not a registered dietitian. I would always refer out. But um, with the certification that I have, if someone just wants to look better, feel better, move better, eat better, um, the first thing I like to start with is not actually focusing on subtraction, but actually focusing on addition. Because we're so inundated with messaging of like, take this out, remove all these things. And people, it really discourages people. And they're like, well, I'm, what am I left with? I can't eat any of the things that I like. And so instead of focusing on that, at least at first, I'm, I look at what can we add? We can add more water. We can add more fruits and vegetables. We can add more, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever the person needs. So I usually will start with a a new client who wants nutrition help, focus, um, do a food log first, and then look at what's missing that we can add. Yes, I might identify seven things that need to go away, but we'll get there. Let's start with encouraging people to make better decisions. And a lot of times the shifts just naturally happen because they eat more of the good stuff. You don't have enough room left in your in your stomach at each minute. You start to become really in tune with your hunger and fullness cues and how you feel when you eat, when you add more of the good, that the, the bad, quote unquote bad, starts to just kind of naturally find its way out. And I find that's a better way to approach it with most people because if you tell people from the get-go, you can't eat this, 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 and this, they're like, well, I'm out. Yeah. And then yeah. you just, you're, you know, you've left, you're, you're left with the unhappy client and probably no client Yeah. after, you know, X number of weeks, it's only a matter of time. So. Yeah. It's not like they're going to boot camp, right? And then like, they just remove all this stuff automatically. You go in, Hey, we're going to do a, uh, a cold Turkey, we're going to take everything away. You have no choice. You can't leave. So boot camps are perfect. Uh, yeah. if you can control the environment and that's another important thing that people don't realize is that it's not just what you 
take in and, and uh, what you take in or what you decide to take in. It's also your environment. So if you uh, in boot camp, for example, they remove all the, all those things that they don't want you to have. So that you, I mean, at least in in, uh, in the marine boot camp, you're not you're not drinking soda, you're not smoking, you're not doing any of those things, um, and they're trying to feed you as cleanly as possible. Um, and we have to look at the situation or individuals should look at the situation, what's in your environment at the micro and at the macro level as well. So like if you want to reduce the amount of added sugar, then how much added sugar is in your pantry right now? You know, how much is it available? Do you want, if you want to reduce the amount of stress because the stress doesn't help with, with weight loss either or getting healthy, uh, what in the micro and macro level can you, uh, what are you surrounding yourself with? Are the people around you stress, stressing you out? Is the environment stressing you out? And when it comes to like what she has, which is uh, colitis, um, which is a it's triggered by stress, the environment has a huge thing to do with that, right? Definitely. Yeah, I, I uh, used to follow a program. It was, it's old now or whatever, and it sounds more like a bodybuilding type of thing, but it was called Body for Life. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but basically it was, um, there was, there was two books. There was one book that was about, um, written by this guy who was talking about the importance of nutrition and then working out and, and all of this, but then he created like a cookbook. And the great thing about it was, um, he talked about more like portions, like, you know, your fist size. So, you know, protein, vegetable, fruit, you know, those types of things and such. And um, gave recipes that focused on that. And, you know, there were delicious recipes, actually. And we still cook many of them today, you know, even though I'm not really following that program. But what I loved about it, and I still apply some of the principles, is you work out six days a week and you give yourself a cheat day. And it was to give you the ability to um, not feel bad for, you know, it's okay to have a pizza or a beer or, or whatever. And, and he said, you know, it doesn't have to be a day, but as long as you focus on it being like a day, so you could do it, it could be a Tuesday, it could be a Sunday, it could be a Wednesday, and it may not be all day, it may only be a couple hours, like that evening, you're gonna, you know, have a cheat meal or something of that nature. Because psychologically, if you don't do that, then you're gonna give up quickly. So by giving yourself the ability to be okay to eat something like that, you're not really going to, your body's not going to suffer and go all of a sudden out of whack off of one day type of thing is how we looked at it. It was actually very helpful um, through the process. And like I said, some of those things I apply today, I got to be honest with you, I don't apply all of them today, uh, but there are, there are aspects like you're talking about that I've taken from every little thing that I've read or that I've done where I'm looking more of at my age and where I'm at in my lifestyle, what fits me best. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's really what you're talking about, getting that person to that point where is it really that you're wanting to look like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger or is it, you know, because you, you may not have the genetics made up for that. And a lot of those guys don't. Steroids are used in, in those situations <laughs> in order to get to that point. But um, some people are really gifted genetically, and some of us, like me, have skinny legs, and there's no way I'll ever have the legs, you know, th that some folks have with big thighs and everything else. Because if I could push what's in my belly down to my thighs, I'd figure out a way to do that. <laughs> Just ain't going to happen. You can find a doctor, I'm sure, that can... You know, <laughs> they probably can yeah. nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I, I like the fact that you're talking about that. And I remember that somebody came on the show, though, and was talking about, um, you know, again, nutritionally and about um, helping out with, uh, it wasn't necessarily traumatic brain injury. I think it was more about post-traumatic stress, but I think it's along the same lines. Healthy lifestyle, how you think, you know, your ability to think and process things quickly, um, longevity of thinking, you know, what, what does that span before your brain starts cutting out during the day? Um, you know, and so trying to maintain that is sort of like trying to maintain the glycemic, in, uh, glycemic index as well, right? It's like, how do you, how, what are you putting in your body and fuel to keep it going throughout the day, mentally, physically? Yeah, there's a huge connection between the gut and the brain. And when, which is why when people feel anxious, they feel it at the gut too, and then the brain kind of follows and vice, vice versa, right? They, they talk to each other in a very, very frequently. So having a clean diet and having a, um, a good, good habits that help that not only is going to help your gut and help your health, but it's also going to help your mental health. And for any military members that are looking for, you know, DIY ways to help their mental state. That is one, I want to say easy. It may be hard, but you got to choose your hard, right? You got to choose what's going to be hard for you. Either choose this as a way to help your mental state or because being mentally uh, unfit is also very hard. So you just got to choose your heart. So I would say that's one quick DIY way to um, be able to help yourself mentally. So would you agree? Oh, yeah, 100 percent. They say the, the gut is the second brain and the gut microbiome. It's, it's a very complex probably I have a whole podcast just on that and I'm certainly not a medical expert but I just through my own experience too having ulcerative colitis that's the, the medical condition that disqualified me from the military and 100% I understand why because stress can exacerbate it and the military is not a, a, a job that's you know low in stress so um, but yeah I think you know taking care of the gut it bleeds into your mental health as well and so people maybe don't they miss that connection and so when they're shoving processed food in their face and wondering why their mental health is not good i'm not not to say that's the only contributing factor but absolutely it, it can contribute positively or negatively to the, one's mental health the important thing is it's easier to control than what the brain's chemistry is doing sure. you can directly affect your gut chemistry on a daily basis with a probiotic or just eating you know what is the sauerkraut whatever mm-hmm. it is Fermented like my, foods. my wife does all this you, no, you i didn't know about the sauerkraut she's piece. so crunchy man yeah. so really. fermented foods are really really good for gut health yeah oh okay yep so she's real big on that. I'm, I, I get this on a on a daily basis. <laughs> she knows what's up. Yeah, uh, and you slimmed down a lot. Yeah. So I went to the doctor. They got a panel, and we started talking about like the vitamin panels. You know, B was really low, D was really low, cholesterol was up. We got to do something about it. And Angela took that. And well, Angela's it. a nurse, by the way. Just yeah. so she's a, she's a nurse and a super mom by trade. But that's, yeah, that's, that's true. She is. <laughs> so. Um, she's she's uh, real big on that's one thing she promotes with our kids. Everything is you know let's get the gut health right. Let's eat clean. I got my middle son will go out to the garden and just like pick a cucumber and walk around that's the yard awesome. and eat it. And like he doesn't want chips or sweets. He'd rather go and we have blueberry bushes. He'd rather go and pick four handfuls of blueberries and shove them in his face Love than it. rather than do anything else. So it's pretty cool to watch. That is great. Yeah. And it's like one generation away from. Me as a kid, I was like, let's get the Cheetos, the ramen noodles, let's have a, a giant bowl of cereal, you know what I mean? But no, he, it, it's really cool. It's one generation removed. It's just actually making action. 
towards yeah, doing it. Absolutely. You know, they say, um, what is uh, what's that saying out there now? Something like, uh, eat as your grandparents or great-grandparents yes. did. So basically, go back to the farm-to-table yes. time period. Yep. And and you think about the um, what they went through in that time for, period as well, you know, whether it was the Great Depression, whether it was um, the the Dust Bowl that happened in the Midwest, whether it was World War One and then World War Two, mm-hmm. and all of those challenges that they went through from a society that farmed the table with all of those additional outside stress factors, still they were able to live to, you know, long age, 85, yeah. 90, you know, my grandmother was, um, I think, 98 when she passed, and her mother was like 103. Wow. And so, you know, genetically, it's in obviously within my DNA. My mother is now 86 years old, and um, she smoked for a better part of 50, 60 years of her life and then gave it up. But you can, as soon as she gave it up, I've told her, I'm like, well, then you, you reformatted things. You know, you've really helped. Now, you did damage, but by the fact that you quit, you at least... It, extended it another period of time and making those course corrections I think are what's really important and that's kind of what you're talking about is finding that way to set that course in the right way and get back to farm to table yeah what do you feel about organic then in that sense because it's become a very okay, expensive a, and it's a controversial that's a buzzword thing. Because uh, is, is it organic or is it just certified organic? Because well, yeah. you said shop the outside and sometimes organic can be in just that special little section. So yeah. I'm so. Organic it is a total buzzword, and for someone to put the organic label on the product, there's certain requirements have to be met, and there's also other words that aren't organic, like you could ha- made with organic ingredients. Mm-hmm. Very misleading. Not yeah. necessarily. There's a certain. I don't remember what the percentage is, but X percent in order for something to be like USDA organic with that logo on it, they have to have a certain percentage of the product that is organic, and then there's other levels of organicness that you can label a product and certain words that you can and can't use and so I think marketing is powerful and people are misled to they can you can charge more for having that label on there of course but um, there's there's a lot of misleading that happens to, to people but ultimately I think organic or not organic if we're choosing the you know the lettuce over the chips it's gonna be a better yeah a better choice and I think people need to worry less about organic there's also I, from what I understand and I do a lot of listening to podcasts and reading about this like whether thing whether organic actually means healthier, I I think that the jury's still out on that. Yeah. Um, study some studies show yes, some studies show no. Non GMO. What about the longevity though? Because I mean, like, uh, in getting back to your thing about like chicken, isn't it that you can't even put antibiotics in chickens anyway? But yet they put that on the label to make it sound like no antibiotics. Right. Like that's a thing that their right. company's or doing. It's yeah. gluten free chicken. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. There's no wheat in the chicken. Yeah, I get, right. right. Yeah. So, but is it, you know, do we know enough about you know we talk about um, all these other processed foods and everything else, but we do do we really know enough from a longevity standpoint about the non-organic and what does go into the chickens or what does go into the the feed or um you know cattle and stuff like that as to the long-term term effects of humans i don't think there's we've had it around long enough i think because the population has on earth has just grown so much exponentially over the last you know 100 years or 50 to 100 years i think we don't really know I mean, again, I'm not an expert, but from what I've read, um, I think that it just hasn't like to to 
sustain the population growth and to be able to feed all the people on Earth now. I think they've had to be innovative with farming. I think that's where GMOs do come in. Um, they can produce a lot more. I don't think a broiler chicken should take 60 days to become <laughs> fully fully mature. You know what I mean? Yeah. How many times do you cook chicken at the house and the bones break? Because they grew too fast. Bones are weak. Yeah. Because they're there something made them grow faster. Yeah. And, but what what that does to humans long term, I don't know that we yeah. know that. And there's some evidence that could be, or some conclusions that could be drawn based off of you know injecting the hormones and what is that doing to humans because we mm. are what we are what we eat and we are what we eat ate mm -hmm. so whatever if you're eating the chicken and the chicken ate corn or grain or whatever we it, we are also ingesting that because it's in the tissues that we're ingesting in, from the chicken so for i don't know you know long term i don't i don't know that we've had enough long-term studies to know good bad, or indifferent yeah you think back even of uh you know we talk about the farm to table with your grandparents or great-grandparents or whatever the case what do you think about what was around back then, DDT, all these uh, different mm -hmm. types of things that were around that now is even banned that yep. were being used in the environment and, and in the chemicals that were going on the crop or, you know, um, you know, to stop mosquitoes nearby. So, geez, I remember trucks that used to drive by and have fog going out the back and we'd ride our bike back behind it and hold our breath, see how long we could do that. You know, we'd run to the house and <laughs> shut the windows, not because we were worried about the effects of what could get in the house is because the smell was terrible. Yeah right but then we go grab our bike and that was fun time you know to go back behind it and people i tell that story and they're like how the hell are you still living then you know because right behind the bike i don't know i don't know what was in that truck i mean there's there my my assumption and i try to look at things and 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 see what what was happening at the time and what we're doing now what maybe what we're not doing as much now and the body's very resilient right so the one thing that we can, we can feed the body, like look at the individuals or the, uh, the people in uh, Okinawa, Japan, who have very long lifespan, right? They eat very simple foods. They eat a lot of rice, too. And then it's not like they're, they're, they're getting rid of carbs, right? They're not doing that. No. Um, but they're, they're very active as well. They move. They move a lot. So when you were younger, and even when I was younger, we moved a lot more as kids. We played outside. Parents, we'd just be like, hey, come back for dinner. Yeah. And you would just go and... And our grandparents and great-grandparents worked the farms yeah. and, yes. you know, were outside all the time. They were blue-collar more than probably they were white. Getting and a lot more sun. Yes. Um, kids these days, uh, not every parent allows this, but, you know, a lot of parents are allowing their kids to stay indoors and just play in the iPad or video games and whatever. And, uh, you know, it's easy because you can watch them and know that. And also, it's, you, you know, you're a bad parent if you let your kid go play outside un, you know, unaccompanied or un, you know, not being watched. Like, hey, it's your job to watch. Maybe parent can't do that. So now the parent has to keep the kid inside. So where back then, you would just, you know, it took a village to raise a child. If you got in trouble and your mom's friend or neighbor saw you do something, your mom will find out uh, because they, you know, everybody watched everyone. But now, uh, you know, it's almost discouraged to let kids go play outside on their own. You said something, though, that I was going to take us there, and you took us there already. So a lot of people focus on, like, you know, I'm looking at you know, social media, and I want to look like Rebecca, or I want to look like Joel and stuff like that. But yet the other part of it is, is that um, we start looking at these different types of diets or what we feel are, are more healthy. Okay, you've got the Asian diet and everything, or diet meaning that's what they eat, and, you know, and Mediterranean, you know, it's lots of fish and this, that, and the other. But there are other socioeconomic 
challenges or things that you may not be bringing into focus. So you could switch your body to that diet or start eating that food. But if you're not doing the same physical activities and your DNA is not made up the exact same way, you may not achieve the same results. Right. Yeah. And that's just, it's a, it's a matter of not just looking at one thing uh, and saying, oh, that is what's causing this, right? It's a matter of looking at the body and what we do. The body's meant to move meant to move the more that we're sitting down the more that we are in a hunched position the more that we're playing video games the more that we're indoors and not getting sunlight the more stress the body gets not good stress because there's good stress out there's physical movements good stress but the more the body wants to shut down and so the body has to move yeah all all makes sense and everything so um you guys created an app and you also have Simper Stronger, can tell me, I think it was you, Rebecca, that actually created this, so. It was a team effort, definitely. Yeah. Uh, it, was a, it was a product of COVID, so I was working uh, at a gym for six and a half years, but then COVID shut us down and didn't know how long that was gonna go on, so after a couple months of the gym still being closed, and then I got furloughed, and I was like, well, I can sit around and hope and wait for maybe getting my job back, but that that's not in my nature. I'm more of a make things happen than wait for things to happen type of person, so. Um, we decided to start our business, Semper Stronger. We obviously drew the Semper from Semper Fidelis from the Marine Corps, and then Stronger just being strength and being the, the foundation, kind of the thread that in everything that we do, it's it's always about strength, physical strength, mental mental strength, emotional strength, and so that that that's how that came up to be. But at the beginning, it was more of just a way for me to start to train clients so I could make money while I didn't have a job at the gym anymore, and then it turned into something almost two years later, something so much bigger and. Um, it's no longer just me training clients. We have a whole membership. We have uh, fitness programs, strength programs, and we're getting ready to build a team of coaches to join our brand and, and coach their own clients and utilize the platform that we've spent the last two years building. And so, we, yeah, as you mentioned, we have an app and we have a membership and we've got one-on-one coaching and there's just, there's something for everyone. As long as your goal is centered around becoming a stronger version of yourself, then there's a place for you at Semper Stronger. You know, it's amazing that um, a few years ago, we always refer to things pre and post COVID, it seems like now, but <laughs> pre COVID, you know, there were, um, there were things that were out there like remote training, but everybody always thought, you know, I'm not going to get into that. Or they would for short time periods, January through April. And, um, and yet now it seems to be more acceptable because we're even buying these pieces of equipment that we put within our homes where we can have the interface when we like it of a trainer that's on a screen that we flip on and we can have a male or a female or we could do whatever. And because we want that convenience. And so um, it seems like it's starting, you know, again, post COVID and because of COVID and not having that interaction, it's starting to lean more in that direction. Um, Where do you think it's going to take us? Do you think it's going to be a point where it's going to be a saturated market and then it's just going to pretty much fizzle out because everybody, it's going to be a fad thing. You're going to see all these, you know, what's the name of that company? Uh, Maybe we should mention it, bikes and everything all in the uh, eBay and everything else for people to come buy it. Or what do you think? That's a great question. It's it's hard to say, and obviously we can't predict the future. But I'm I think that the next pandemic is not a an if but a when. So I think you know hopefully not, but we could find ourselves back in in lockdown, and hopefully that never happens. That's another conversation. But um, 
I think I think there will always be a group of people who love the gym scene and love to be you know in a community space with other people and they're getting after it and they they would like to be around other people doing the same thing. But I think I do think that one thing that happened as a result of COVID that isn't going to go away is people enjoying the, to enjoying physical fitness from the comfort of their home. It's convenient. There's so many options now um, for there's you know everyone's got their flavor of fitness that they like, whether it's cardio or strength or a combination of the two. But I think um, I, I do think that the at home fitness thing is here to stay, um, what that looks like. And I think we'll we'll see what happens. But I think the the market, it, it's pretty saturated. I mean, we're learning that just as we go and try to stand out in a market with so many other fitness companies and apps, large and small. Um, I think we're what we're trying to do is just build it around a community. So um, there's a lot of companies that just, you know, you do it yourself and, and you're at home with by, by yourself and you're looking at the screen and following somebody on the screen, but we're trying to do it um, with other real people. So we have live workouts that we do on Zoom with people all over the world um, and that are in, in our membership or not, just having built a following on social media, which is something I never thought I would do or never really intended to do, honestly, but it's been a, it's been really cool to be able to bring people together from across the world in all of these different countries. It's just through the United thread of, of loving the journey of becoming a stronger person. And so, um, yes, the market is saturated, but I think that there, there is a, there's space for everybody. Do you see like, um, right now, are you guys seeing more live is seems to be, um, in other words, is the audience there when you go live and you're ready to do it, even though you may even publicize times, or do you also save the files and people can also train and you do both? And what are you seeing as the, um, the area that you're seeing the most traction? I'm just curious because is it live or is it tape? I think both, and it depends on the, the individual, again, what yeah. their preferences are. There's definitely, we do, we do get a good following in our live workouts, but there are people who like the on-demand, and also that the on-demand thing is nice for d people in different time zones. So yeah. if we're doing a live workout and then it's morning here, and then people in Australia are like, it's the middle of the night, they're not going to be able to join us. So um, I think the on-demand thing is, is nice, too, because people can do it whenever, wherever, and they still get to experience that. You know, it's not the same. We're not doing it at the same time as everybody else, but you still get that, that community feel. Let's yeah. say I'm in the military. I'm sorry, we're going to no. say something. Oh. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Let, let's say I'm in the military and typically, you know, we, we just want to, for the most uh, cases, and it depends on the individual in this situation too, you're just trying to uh, pass the PT test on an annual basis and um, be able to keep up and not fall, uh, fall out of the run. So you don't have to do that later on or do whatever remedial PT might be available. So um, I would assume that if you got engaged in this because you're trying to build something up and or maintain it and you did it in a, in a remote setting this um, like this and such, that you'd probably be able to put a hook in some ways to keep them to where they understand that y your physical fitness and your diet and everything can go outside of just those goals and maintain that. Yeah, no, and you're, you're absolutely right. So it's funny you say that because we are actually now getting into involved with uh, military and first responders in the fitness uh, world with that, and, right? Helping uh, military and first responders um, be able to stay fit, men uh, not just physically, but mentally as well. And um, if you're, you know, if any of your listeners are or uh, aspiring to be military members or currently in the military and you're listening to this right now, just know that it is in your job description to stay physically fit. It is in your job description to be the um, to be to be deadly. You have yeah. in order to be deadly and to be and to be and to perform. If they, if you're if you're needed to perform, you have to stay physically fit. It doesn't mean yes. 
you should also be a great leader. You should be uh, able to do your whatever your MOS is. If and I'm in the IT field, whereas in you know it's you see a lot more people that are overweight in in the IT field, or not necessarily overweight, but just not strong and be able to in resilient bodies, right? Because people sit all day and do that. But as a Marine, I tell my Marines, it doesn't matter if you're a radio operator, it doesn't matter if you're a data Marine, you are a Marine first. And your job is to be able to perform physically at all times. And so it's in your job description. And I'd say this because um, we are, you know, we're helping other military members or aspiring military members or current military members as well to be able to pass the PT test, pass the PFT, pass the combat fitness test, um, and be able to do it well and also build those habits so that they don't have to do it in a season. It's not a season of right. getting fit. It's, uh, it's a lifestyle when you're in the military. So learning the habits to, that you have to learn to stay ready at all times because I should be able to go to any military member and say, hey, we're doing whatever the PT test or your PFT is right now, and you should be able to do well in it because you're a Marine 24-7, you're a soldier 24-7, you're an airman 24-7, you know, you're a sailor 24-7. And for cops and law enforcement and first responders, uh, I think it's even, you know, it's getting more and more important for them because they show up to scenes not knowing what to expect. Mm-hmm. And they have to be ready for whatever is coming their way. Yeah. No, that's great. And so do you guys do tailored? Like if I came into the program and I'm looking for something specific, you guys do a tailored. Well, that that definitely takes a lot of time and effort in order to get an understanding of the background. So is it a bio thing I submit or how does that work? Yeah. So for the one on one stuff, we have um, there's an application and then which is another reason we're growing. Like I, I at this point, I can't sustain all the applications we have coming in for one on one coaching. So we're looking to grow a team. So we have different people for different people different coaches that can cater to different people's goals. Um, but there's an application just to kind of high level, get to know who you are, what what you want to do. And then we would do a video consult for an hour or so just to really like dive in deeper. What are the what goals you have? Do you have a timeline in which you need to reach those goals? What equipment do you have access to? What's your schedule like? Um, you know, how committed are you? All that type, that type of stuff. And then the coach creates the program and then we deliver the program via the app. And then there's checking calls along the way and assessing progress and things like that. But the app is great because um, the, the client can self-report the data that they go th- as they're going through their workouts, how many sets, how many reps, how much weight they're using, what their perceived exertion level is, how difficult it was. They can leave comments so the coach can see all that and make adjustments accordingly. But that's, you know, that's kind of the highest level that we offer, that, that level of customization. And then we also have programs that I've written that we just have for sale. If people want to just follow a program on their own, obviously it's not customized, but we have a variety of different levels of difficulty and um, you know kettlebell, pro- kettlebell only programs, programs that require f- access to a whole gym, body weight programs for people who have no access to equipment. So there's a little something for everyone and as we grow our team, we're, we'll also grow our, our program library so we can touch on other types of fitness that are out of my area of expertise. I'm, I'm all strength and, and barbells and kettlebells, but I know that's not everyone's jam. So we want to grow our team with other coaches who specialize in other areas of fitness and really have something for everybody who, anyone who comes to our brand, they're going to have either a coach that can help them or a program that's right for them. Yeah. I was just getting ready to ask you about your limit to your capabilities right now and things like, you know, um, Yoga is becoming very, uh, I wouldn't say that it ever left, but I think especially within the military community, a lot of people are understanding the breath work and that yoga and um, the relaxation, the stress and, and those types of things and keeping that at, at 
you know, a low level and such. Um, then there's, um, God, I, I can't imagine. There's probably a ton of different things that are out there that people use um, it, that are going to be very different than, like you said, the kettlebell and the, and the weights and everything. It'll be great when you guys can get all those types of capabilities where people can dial in and, and find out what's going on. Um, are, you, are you creating local um, opportunities, networking opportunities as well? Is that part of the platform? Because I know you have a, a newsletter as well, but, I mean, as far as, like, local that's that is definitely a goal. We're not quite big enough yet to have enough of a, you know, constituency in, in cities or you know certain areas around the country, but or the world for that matter. But that's the cool thing about having an online business is we can connect people all over the world virtually, and then once we have enough people, it'll be kind of obvious where our people are centered. Um, I know we do have a good amount in San Diego, and we have a good amount in Virginia and Chicago. So there's definitely pockets where people. Um, are located, but they find us through all different uh, avenues. You know, podcasts is one. I've done quite a few podcasts, and social media is probably the biggest one. So, um, it's it's really interesting to to find out how people hear about us and where they're coming from. What's the message you guys would give to somebody who's just starting out versus something somebody that's been in it uh, for some time frame as it relates to Semper Stronger? Mm. That's a good question. Yeah. So, <laughs> if you're just starting out, just know that. Um, you may not know what 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 you need yet if you're starting out. So it's a good idea to speak. You know, you may speak to a coach. Maybe you need personal one-on-one -on -one training. Um, a lot of people want to do CrossFit as their first thing, or like do some complex movements, and maybe understand you know, humble yourself. Understand that it takes some time to get to be that. You know, to do a clean and jerk. It takes some time to do to do a. Uh, kettlebell snatch it takes some time to, it, it takes time to do to do those things and a good coach will break it down for you so that you can meet those goals but you have to humble yourself and understand that maybe you'll start with lighter weight and maybe a simpler movement you can't go to the gym and be like i want to do that today if you haven't even started with step one yeah and i would also add to that that it's a long journey you know we we like to look at things and we like immediate gratification. Everybody does, but when it comes to fitness and health and wellness, it's such a it's a delayed gratification. And so people are wherever they are, and they see where they want to go, and they look at people who have the lifestyle, the body, or the health that they that they desire, and they want it now. And it just doesn't work that way with with health, with um, with strength. It takes time. And so if you if that's what you want, then be, be ready to be in it for the long haul because it's it's gonna be a journey and it's gonna take time and it's gonna take commitment and it's not like a part-time gig. If, if you wanna be 50%, you know, 50% in or whatever, you know, oh, I'm good Monday through Thursday, but then, for, well, that's, you know, almost 50% of the time that you're not quote unquote good or on it. So imagine how much longer it's gonna take if you are 50% committed to something versus if you were 90% or higher. So um, really, look inside, look inward and, and see what's what's really important and what are you willing to, to do to, to get where you want to be. If I'm already in physical fitness, then what? If you're already in, um, then explore. Um, I think that uh, a lot of people tend to uh, stay within, get bored with doing the same thing all the time. Um, there's some people that have, um, like, you know, they, in, that have been doing machines for, for years, the same, they go into the gym and they do the same rotation of the machines and they get out and they don't see results. Uh, and sometimes in order to see results, you have to step out of your box and understand that there are other things out there that are gonna help you. Um, and so, again, just um, 
humble yourself a little bit and and explore uh, and you might find something that is going to be um, the next thing that's going to bring you to the next level and it's not just one it's not just the single body parts right not just monday chest day whatever the next day is leg day and then back day right it's, you can do other things that are going to be just as effective if not more effective and um if you're already in fitness in the military then i would i would say focus on performance versus focusing on aesthetics or uh, and the performance by mean is not not doing one rep max i mean focus on being able to to be uh think about deployment think about what you have to do to carry a buddy out of danger to carry the equipment think about those things and tailor your training your priority your training around that last question would be why simper stronger over anybody else everybody we talked about it's a saturated market yeah why simper stronger we are building a community of people across the world that are focusing on getting strong for life that's our motto strong for life and that has two meanings strong for life in the sense of strong forever from now until the end of the story whenever that's done being written we want to be strong from now till then and then strong for life in the sense of being able to withstand whatever life's challenges are that are coming our way and they're inevitable you know whether it's a family situation a pandemic or anything in between we need to be able to be physically and mentally resilient and strong and so that is what we bring to the table we are not um we are not a six-week challenge we're not six weeks to shredded abs we're, we're not that we're a lifestyle and so if we really we want people in our community who want to be strong for life and look at this as a long-term investment and not a short-term you know here and gone we'll see you in january yeah no i personally like that because it goes back to that program i was talking about earlier you guys were not familiar with and it almost had the same type of name and and it, the idea was um again to be, change your mindset about creating a lifestyle don't try to think of this as a fad exactly. and i think it's so important um and there's a lot of different programs that are out there and they're all trying to set themselves apart um, but most of them, you know, or, or there are some out there that are more focused on um, revenue generation than they are really about the, the true intent. And it sounds like you guys are try, trying to focus at least the marketplace on people that you guys understand, you know, first responders, military, um, as well as the, the average civilian and everything that's also looking for the, uh, similar opportunities. But you know that space. You know that market um, well, and you guys are creating a program. They can find the app out there, I guess, on the App Store, Simper Stronger? So, yeah, they to get into our membership, you just go to SimperStronger.com. Okay. And then SimperStronger.com forward slash memberships. They can sign up there, and that'll um, forward them to the account creation in the app, and they can access all of our programs and our membership there. And um, social media? Semper Strong, at SimperStronger on Instagram. Uh, Semper Stronger on Facebook and TikTok. And TikTok. That's right. We just got on yeah. TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Um, my personal Instagram is at Rebecca.Rouse. And mine is at Joel of Blades. It's like uh, Rollerblades, but with Joel in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I posted a video of your uh, leadership statement that you made and uh, loved that actually. But I got, a, uh, I got a person that made a comment about, no, I, you know, what other people do is not my problem. Or, mm -hmm. yeah. 
So um, you're going to always have uh, people, uh, you'll probably already found this when you start getting down on social media that will always challenge whatever it is that you state um, because there's always different opinions. And I appreciate you guys coming on the show and sharing everything about Simply Stronger, about your backgrounds and history and stuff and ways in which you're trying to help the market that you're trying to serve um, going forward. And I wish you a lot of success, obviously, and I look for you guys to grow it. So um, there's so many different capabilities that you can hit just about every market out there because different people, like you said, are going to be looking for their health lifestyle um, from different ways and whatever max, you know, hits their body or fits their lifestyle or something like that. And if it's really about always being stronger and maintaining a lifestyle, you got to find the thing that works for you. So having that ability to do that and hit it in different ways will be fantastic and look for you guys growing to do that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Likewise.